Hi, I'm recording. I am recording. I'm recording. Recording another thing from the official Michael Jackson opus. Okay, the boy genius. Born into modest circumstances in an Indiana steel town, music was part of Michael's life from an early age. When he when he picked up the beat, the magic began. In August of 1958, in the city of Gary, Indiana, was was known at all in the world of soul business. It was due to the to the to the town's role as home, uh, a professor Arnold Hill, the lovable con man in the in the Broadway smash, Mordred Wilson's The Music Man, the Grammy-winning original cast cast recording had had just come off a a twelve-week run at the top of the of the Billboard charts where it would. Where it would ultimately hold a place for two hundred thirty-three more weeks. Little could anyone have predicted, predicted that in 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 that hard scrabble, predicted that in in that hard scrabble, Chicago suburb founded by the by the United States Steel Corporation. And named for U.S. Steel Chairman, Chairman Albert H. Gary, a very different kind of mu- a music man, was coming to town. One whose, one whose, every move were turn not to steal but to plant an um, but, but to, but to plant um. Michael jo- Joseph Jackson made his worldwide debut on August 29, 1958, the fifth son of Joe and Catherine Jackson, who had been who had been married just shy of nine years. By all appearances, the Jacksons were, were much like any of of several several thousand other families in the Greater Chicago Land area. But appearances can be deceiving. <sighs> I hate this. Can be deceiving. Joe and Catherine Jackson's house at 2300 Jackson Street was modest, even by Gary's standards. And for a family of nine, which would soon grow to eleven, having just two. Two bedrooms meant that Michael had had to share his living quarters with with brothers Jackie, Tito, Gemini, and Marlin. Yet what? Yet what some might might have considered a hardship was merely the first and many factors that fused the brothers into a into a seamless unit ironically that they would ultimately ply their trade on stages with a square footage that that exceeded that uh at the home several times over over
even during the post-World War II economic boom years, work at the local steel mills was uncertain. So Joe and a few friends formed a band called the Falcons to supplement the family income. The group met with little success, and Michael's father stowed his guitar away with, with no uncertain instructions that the uh, that the closet and especially the and especially the guitar it contained were both strictly off off limits to his kids. In fact, Michael referred to that to that closet as as an, an almost scarce place and one that proved irresistible to the brothers. To the brothers. Michael, of course, was too young to join in on the hijink on the hijinks that inevitably ensued as Brother Tito snuck snuck in snuck in and taught and taught himself how to play his father's prized instrument. Siblings Jackie and Gemini also shared their brother's fascination trying on the trying on. The guitar, the same scales they learned in, in their music classes at school, figuring out the hits of the day, including Green Onions by Booker T. By Booker T. and the MGs all agreed that the most important task was t was to make sure that the guitar was stashed safely back in the closet before Joe returned home. One day a string snapped and the boy, and the boys having no idea how to how to replace it and no money to 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 to, to, to buy one even if they could leave the guitar back in its resting place, hoping the father either wouldn't notice or would I would believe that the string had broken of its own accord. Of its own accord. Joe did notice that his temper snapped far more fiercely than his than his in, than his E string. After the dust settled and Tito proved that he had it that he hadn't merely that he hadn't merely been fiddling while his father born. Joe bought Tito his own guitar and inducted the three eldest brothers into the into the first Jackson family band. Michael and Marlon initially watched from the sidelines as Joe instituted a rigorous twice a day practice schedule. But that didn't last long as Michael couldn't couldn't resist McMicking older brother Gemini, who was himself imitating the legendary godfather or so James Brown. After witnessing the, the four-year-old's enormous energy and natural world talent, Katherine Jackson finalized the budding group's lineup, telling her husband, 
I think we have another lead singer. But the following year, Michael wasn't just wasn't just the lead singer. He was the band's heart, soul, and focal point. And focal point. After months of rehearsals, the group entered a Gary citywide talent talent show held at Roosevelt High School, located just around the corner from the house. From from the moment that Tito recreated the instantly recognizable opening guitar lick from from the Temptations, Michael, the the crowd was on his feet cheering the Jacksons to victory. To victory. Other talent contests, lots of them followed. So did other trophies. After being named Gary City Champs, the Jackson Brothers went on to Chicago and beyond entering so-called amateur shows, despite their, despite their semi-pro status, as they walked six nights a week at a local club called, somewhat particularly, Mr. Lucky's. Mr. Lucky's. By the summer of 1967, they were making their debut at the, at the Apollo Theater in Harlem, perhaps the most we know so, so music venue in the world and winning the competition there too. The next time they appeared at the Apollo in the spring of the following year, they weren't they weren't playing merely for the merely for the for the chance at a trophy. They they were taking home a paycheck. A paycheck. In July of 1968, downtown Chicago was hot, although, although not, although not nearly uh, as hot, as hot as it would get the following month when the, when the riot plagued Democratic National Convention rolled through town, trailing a stream of yippies and broken glass. The Jackson Five were were pretty hot themselves, riding high at the Windy City's High Chapel Club, High High Chapel Club, supporting Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's who had who had just grazed the lower reaches of the of the top forty for the first and and last time of their career. What Taylor lacked in hit-making skills, he, he more than made up for in talent, in talent sporting prowess. Over the years, both Jimi Hendrix and Tommy Chung had played guitar in the, in the ever-evolving Vancouver's. After seeing his opening act, act tear, up, tear up the house, Taylor rushed to make a person-to-person long-distance call to the to the head of Motown's creative department, touting 
his latest discovery. The next stop on the Jack on the Jackson's Road to Stardom took them far outside the three hundred twelve to two thousand to two thousand six hundred forty eight West West Grand Boulevard in Detroit, better known as Hitsville, USA. USA. In Motown, the Jackson's clan came face to face with yet another family one enterprise. Founder Gary, founder Barry Gordy had started the label within, within, with an $800 loan from his relatives owned Barry, 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 CEO, OP Savings Fund. This expenditure would, would pay off, would pay off far, far beyond its adventure, its investors' wildest dreams. Billing itself as the sound of young America. Motown had issued its first record less than less than six months after Michael was born, but by the time uh, of the Jackson Five's audition, the label had become a pop music powerhouse with a roster that included Diana Ross and the Supremes, The Temptations, Smokey Robinson, and The Miracles, Marvin Gaye. The Four Tops, Martha Reeves, and the and the Vandellas, Stevie Wonder, Mary Wells, and many others, and many others. Motown was not only ground zero for the soulful pop sound that would that would come to 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 bear the label's name, but it was also one of the largest black-owned businesses in America. In America, when Michael and his family arrived, the legendary owner wasn't even in in the same zip code, let alone at the at the studio that was once his house. Founder Barry Gordy was actually in Los Angeles, laying the groundwork for future for future Motown conquest. So, so we had his. His hometown crew set up a 16-millimeter movie camera to, to, capture the audition, to capture the audition, which he had, re- which he had requested would then be sent by carrier to the coast for his immediate attention. Attention. If auditioning in ABSENTIA might have seemed a little particular, the Jackson 5 never, never betrayed it to the dozen or so Motown staffers who, who had assembled in the studio to see the band struck the stuff. Michael counted off the intro for James Brown's I Got the, Fe- I Got the Feeling. And they lit up the room like it was the fourth of July, rather than, rather than the twenty third, rather than the twenty third, 
other tunes and the silence was deafening and the and and the BYO children remember eldest son Jackie was only seventeen and Michael was a month away from turning ten. Bravely uh, bravely ushered in their second performance. After introducing the members of the group of the group. Michael launched into the into the bluesy stomp of John D. Loudermilk's Tobacco Tobacco Road, made famous during the during the British invasion and regrouped for Seoul a cup a couple of years later by Lou Walls. Again the again the expected post performance applause never came. So Michael pulled out all the stops and closed the audition with the cover of Smokey Robinson, Who's Loving You? No way those Motown execs wouldn't give it it up for one of their own. But after the song's grand final, it was only the voice of Motown VP Ralph Stetcher that broke the stillness by thanking the group for coming and promising he would have news for them in two days. In two days. Gordy's screen. Needless to needless to say, the the white back was quiet. Gordy screened the footage in Los Angeles and was completely captivated, calling Motown. HQ immediately upon its conclusion. Gordy's instructions to his creative director were crystal clear. Don't waste a second. Sign them. Sign them. Maybe they could have waited a few seconds after all. What Gordy didn't know at the time was that the Jackson 5 was already under contract to a to a small Gary label called Steel Town. In fact, a couple of singles had already been released, but but they had but they had never received distribution outside the Greater Chicago area. Big boy and we don't have we don't have to to be over twenty one to fall in love. It took Motown's legal legal department more than more than six months and several thousands of dollars to do thousand of dollars to execrate the the group from their existing record deal. But everyone but everyone from the head of Motown on down had high hopes for the Jackson boys. Even if the, their official debut was going to be delayed. Delayed. Barry Gordy not only had a shrewd, powerful vision of what his newly signing signed artist could become, but he was also a demanding taskmaster, task intent on taking the Jackson, the Jackson family band 
to the top of the charts. Fortunately, for all concerned, the Jacksons' worth ethic, worth, worth ethic was as strong as 40s, and while that alone was not a guarantee of success, larger lots of hard workers had had passed through the Motown machine without a hit. Any artist who failed to give the, the labor chief his or her maximum effort was guaranteed to flop. In fact, Gordy would see to it, but when, but when talent yoked itself to diligence, the sky had no limit. Gordy made Michael and his brothers a promise. I'm going to make you the biggest thing in the world, and you are, and you're going to be, be written about in history books. And if, and if that, on its own, wasn't the sweetest possible music to the ears, he crawled even, even further out onto, onto his visionary limb to make a prediction, one that, one that would ultimately would ultimately come true that each and every one of the first three signals would hit number one. So, so what if it, it, it had, had never been done before? Motown was no ordinary label. Michael was no, was no ordinary performer. And with the artistic and promotional juggernaut of its failed USA behind them, the Jackson 5 were destined for no ordinary career. Career. The band was also championed by none other than, than the, by none other than, than the, than the reigning queen of Motown, Diana Wars. Who, who became both a mentor and a lifelong friend, but it was was a public face, a Motown's welcoming committee, its private face, and and perhaps e even more important to to the to the development of the of the young group was company VP VP. Susanna D. Passy. Not only was she responsible for in in-house management of the J Five, but but D. Passy but D. Passy also oversaw every aspect of their public image, from their clothes and choreography to their conduct to the conduct in preparation for. The debut on the national stage. National stage. <laughs> Meanwhile, the hit factory was going up for the most impressive rollout in it, in in its history. All carefully balanced on the slender shoulders of an of an eleven year old kid who was who was telling the press he was nine. Motown. West Coast staff producer Deke Richards had no idea that the, that the tune he and a couple of young song of young songsmiths had had written "I Want to Be Free to Be Free" was destined 
to to be anything other than a than a vehicle for Gladys Knight and the Pips. But after the, the but, but after the uh, after the instrumental track had been laid down, he knew in his bones he had the makings of a hit. One one that might be perfectly suited for the for the labor's latest signing. Latest signing. Barry Gordy agreed, but he suggested the trial the trial polish up the lyric to give the song the Frank Lemon treatment. The little guy who lost his girl kind of thing. Something that something that would would dovetail dovetail nicely with Michael's Trino vocal tones during its screening overhaul. The song got a new title one one that's been imprinted on tens of millions of records and announced by G by DJs worldwide for more for more than forty years. I want you back. It was during the recording of the first single when Michael learned that Gordy's the Gordy's much vaulted genius wasn't wasn't merely another PR invention. After weeks of rehearsing. The vocal arrangements and cutting thither. The first ever tracks as Motown recording artists, the group delivered a rough, tr- a rough mix to the to the labor chief. To the labor chief, he he dissected it like a surgeon, retooling each of the vocal part, uh, the vocal parts, reworking the arrangement and rehearsing. The band members, both individually and co- and collectively, before sending them back to the studio to the studio to do to do take after take until the until the good became great and the great became golden. Became golden. Gordy took a well deserved call writing credit for help for helping to mold the hit. But he and fellow songsmiths Freddie Freddie Poen A L P H O N S O F O N C E M I Z E L L and D E K E which which all did all did so anonymously, billing themselves as the corporation. And after I want you back fulfilled the first part of Gordy's prophecy. For the Jackson Five, the corporation's next order of business was to was to go back to the drawing board for another head, one that would, one that would would, one that would seem as simple as A B C. But before that could happen, there was the small the small matter of capital. Capitalizing on the hit they all they already had, and getting out the J the J fives first first long 
long player Diana Ross presents the Jackson 5 with back cover liner notes penned by their, by their, by their superstar mentor. The group's debut album charted 17 days into the new decade, ultimately topping out at number 5. It was the first of four, of four, top five out of, uh, it was the first of, of four top five albums that the Jackson 5 would release in 1970. In some ways, the first flush of success only increased the pressure on the group, the labor, and, and the corporation, and the corporation, to up the ante with the with the second hit, taking a page from the on the Holland D O Z I E I E R Holland playbook, Derek Richards and Corporation returned to the very same chord progress progression that that I walked so well on. I want you back. And used it as, as the underpinning for the set for the second single. For the second single, as Richard noodled around on the keyboard, casting about for a lyric, ABC popped into his head. Followed quickly in succession by one, two, three. Do do we mind? And you are me. And with those four simple phrases, the next. Jackson 5 Char Char Trophy was born was born Unlike I Want You Back, ABC allowed Michael and Gemini to trade lead lines back and forth, coming together seamlessly in harmony on the chorus. It also features one of oh, one of those of those ones. In a lucky lifetime, spoken word breaks, where Michael's megawatt high spirits can't be, can't be contained, constrained, or controlled. He 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 doesn't so much, so much shout out the lyrics as allow them to erupt. Sit down, girl. I think I love you. No, get up, girl. Show me what you can do. Can do. What the Jack Jacksons could do was seamlessly limitless. After all, to get ABC to number one, they had, they had two to push aside, to push aside, to push aside. None other than the the Beatles. The music press never saw it or on shorthand described. Described. The rapidly mushrooming J5 phenomenon as the advent of bubblegum soul, meaning presumably that it that it blew up big and then went pop. However, the pop part of the Jackson sound was woven into the very fabric of the of the musical DNA. Michael numbered numbered Rogers and Hammerstein, Johnny Mercer and Ivan Bolin Bolin among among his all time favorite composers and Leslie Manelli and Julie 
Lily Andrews, among his, among his favorite performers. But the Jackson 5 was just, was just beginning to blow up big in a good way. In a good way. The song, the song, they did it, they did it with was The Love You Save Once Again. Once again, M-E-S-S-R-S, M-I-C-E-L-L-P-E-R-R-E-N, and Richards tweaked the formula that, that Holland, Doja Holland, had buffered out to a glossy finish, finish, recombining the basic elements from the band's two earlier hits with a few unexpected twists, making it bo- both familiar and fresh at the same time, just like his friend and tutor Diana, and tutor Diana Ross had done had had done on on a previous Motown number one. Michael led the song off with a with a with a single word guaranteed to grab the radio audiences. Immediate attention. Attention. Stop. And stop the audience. The audience did. If only long enough to get to the phones and light up the radio station's request lines. Of course, the song hit the top of the charts, fulfilling the Motown founder's promise to his newest stars. Less, less than 24 months after signing the contract, the Jackson 5 had, had cemented themselves in the American pop consciousness radically altered the family's fortunes and, and became the, the brightest young stars in the labor's galaxy. On their, on the, on their first, for tour as Motown artist Jackson Mania erupted at Philadelphia International Airport when 3,500 devotees stormed the, stormed, stormed the barricades in the, in the hopes of seeing the band. Not long thereafter in Los Angeles, they packed the forum with, with more fans than even the the NBA Western Western Conference winning winning Lakers had three three months earlier. Three months earlier, for the first time in his life, Barry Gordy's vision actually proved to be a little conservative. Not only did the did the Jacksons. First three, first three singles hit number one, but so, but so did the fourth. I will be there, which were which would also prove to be the biggest. It was the first time in the history of pop music that a that a new artist had had been greeted with such immediate and overwhelming and overwhelming success. Yet as astonishing. As that as that achievement was, was it couldn't 
You couldn't even begin to hint at the global enormity of Michael's soul, solo glory as he, emerged, as he emerged to claim his crown as the undisputed king of pop. King of pop. The kingdom he inhabited and always will inhabit is a realm light years away from a single bedroom shield with five brothers, the peeling paint of endless talent show dressing rooms, the low-hanging smoke from dust belt, from rust belt mills, and the, the other humbling beginnings back home where it all began. Because just like the, the favorite fictional son from Gary, Indiana, our, our real music man has been, has been touched, has been touched, has been touched and touches us with magic. Okay, that's all. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm back. I'll be reading something new today. I'll be reading Disney's Family Story Collection. 75 Fables for Living, Loving, and Learning. Forward. Ask a group of children about Dumbo and listen to what they tell you. It wasn't right for the animals to ridicule. The, the tinny elephant with the, with the gigantic ears, the cruel laughter and taunts, Hot Dumbo, and he felt sad and all alone. A mouse became his, his best friend, even even though everyone knows that mice and elephants don't usually get along. With the whispered with the whispered encouragement of his friend Dumbo, learned that his Dumbo learned that his liabilities were his assets. He flapped his huge ears and soared, and soared above those who had, who had criticized him. No one had had ever seen an elephant fly, but then no one had had ever known an elephant like Dumbo. The story reminds us that it is not right to make fun of someone because he is different. Talk to children who have watched who have watched Beauty and the Beast, and in their their own words, they they will tell you, they will tell you that hatred is is hideous. Bella's true beauty was was not found in her appearance, but but in her willingness to offer her her life for her father's and in and in. The, the transforming power of her love for the beast. At first, she was afraid of, of the orgy, but, but she treated him with kindness, and the beast became less beastly. Bella no, no longer saw him with her eyes, but with her heart. Her love transformed the, the beast and helped us all to see that he, that he always was a handsome prince. Ruth, 
my my preschool my preschool daughter knows that 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 it isn't right to hurt others. I hope she she learned that lesson from her sister, mother, and me. However, she may have she may have picked it up from one hundred one Dalmatians. Ruth knows it. It isn't right to hurt those puppies. Just so, just so crucial devil can have a spotted coat, and perhaps. She will come to realize the great power of Aladdin's final selfish wish. His ultimate hope was not for riches, wealth, or fame, but to set the genie free and remove the shackles of oppression that bound his friend. His friend. This book affords you and a child you love the opportunity to share. To share. Simple stories. Look at beautiful illustrations and discover profound truths. As you sit on the couch side by side, or when a small head rests against your chest, as you gently walk in a chair, or when the bedroom lights have had dimmed in preparation for good for good night, open this book. Share with. A child, a short story from the, from the wonderful world of Disney, and together discover discover that we have a a responsibility to love and care for others. Tell them the stories, that that remind us that life is not measured by what we perceive with with our with our eyes or grabs in our hands. But what we we by what we see by faith and treasure in our hearts. After all these are stories for children of all ages. May the children you love and the child that that lives that lives within within you enjoy and learn from from them. Welcome, Michael Catlett, PhD, March ninth. Finish that one. From one to one hundred stories about family, a whale of a tale from Pinocchio. When you love someone, their life can mean more to you than your own. To become a whale boy, all the wooden, all the wooden puppet Pinocchio had to do was was be brave, truthful, and unselfish. But he was having trouble living up to any of those ideas. He had always, 
He had already lied to the blue fairy, and then he had been weak and selfish by going to by going to Pleasure Island, where we had smoked cigars, played pool, and almost happened turned into a donkey. Ashamed, Pinocchio swam back to the mainland with Jim with Jiminy Cricket. Outside, outside Geppetto's workshop, Pinocchio cried, Father, Father, I'm home. No one answered. Geppetto was gone. And from the look of the dust and cobwebs, he had, he had been gone a while. As Pinocchio and Jimmy sat outside, a dev dropped a piece of paper at their feet. The note, the note said that Geppetto had gone, had gone looking for Pinocchio, and ha- and happens while looked by a whale named Monstro. Apparently, Geppetto w- was still alive inside the whale, which wa- which was resting at the bottom of the sea. I'm going to find my father, Pinocchio declared. I'm going. To the bottom of the sea. On a high cliff, Pinocchio tied a heavy walk to his tail. Germany grabbed hold of the rope and plunged into the water with Pinocchio. At the bottom of the sea, Germany grabbed a smaller walk to use as a way. Pinocchio wandered into a school of fish, and before he, he knew it, he was swept into the whale's belly. Pinocchio saw his father sitting forlornly in his fishing boat. Father, Pinocchio, I have come to save you. No, Pinocchio, there's no way our monstro only opens his mouth when he's eating. Then everything comes in, nothing goes out. Pinocchio thought, thought hard, Father, we will build a big fire, and the smoke and the smoke will make Monstro sneeze. They started a blaze with some of the wood from from Geppetto's boat. As the flames grew, Pinocchio and Geppetto hastily built a raft with the remaining wood. The whales shook their sneeze. The tremendous force sent them. Sent the little rat hurtling out of Monstro's mouth. The, fer- the ferocious whale swam beneath the raft and thrust it into the, into the air. Geppetto and Pinocchio tumbled into the sea. Holy Father, cried Pinocchio, I can't make it, son. Save yourself. Save yourself. No, Father. I won't leave you. Pinocchio grabbed Geppetto's shirt and dragged him to shore. There was no way he was going to lose sight of his father now. Later, later, after both Pinocchio and Geppetto were safely at home, the blue fairy rewarded Pinocchio by making him into a real boy. He had proven himself brave, truthful, and unselfish.
The next story is Trouble Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. The reason behind a war often becomes clear just after you break it. More than anything else, Ariel loved exploring shipwrecks and finding human treasure. But her father, King Triton, had had expressly ordered her to stay away from ship, from shipwrecks or any place where she where she would would be in danger of being snagged by one of those those fish eating humans. Humans. The little mermaid knew her father loved her, but she also knew that he. That he just, that he just didn't understand human objects were so amazing, and shipwrecks were the, were the only place she could find them. Nothing would happen to her. She was sure of it. One day, Ariel took her friend Flounder to see to see a new shipwreck she had found. Isn't it fantastic? She said. Yeah, so replied Flounder, incredulously looking over his shoulder. It's great. Now let's get out of here. You're not getting cold fins now, are you? And we all asked. Who me? Said Flounder. No way. It's just a. Uh, it look. It looks damp. And there, I think I may be. I may be. Coming down with something, he coughed loudly, making sure that Ariel heard. All right, said Ariel, you can just stay here and watch for sharks. What? Sharks? Ariel Flounder tried to swim. After. After. Ariel, after Ariel threw a porthole, but he got stuck. Ariel, help! Ariel grabbed Flounder's fence and pulled him inside the ship. Soon she spied a shiny silver object. She picked it up and said, Have you ever seen anything so wonderful? As they examined the object, Flounder was distracted. By a strange sound. What was that? He asked, trembling. Flounder, will you react? Said Ariel, picking up and examining another object. Nothing is going to happen. Flounder heard the strange sound again. He thought he saw a shadow looking behind him. He saw a huge shark was, was gliding toward them. Shark, shark, he cried. Flounder zoomed toward a porthole and got stuck again. As the shark bore down on him, its huge jaws open wide area swam up and pushed Flounder through the porthole. Then she followed, swimming as fast as she could. The shark raced after them. In Flounder's haste to get away, he smacked into them, into the ship's mass. Days, he sank to the ocean floor. Ariel reached through a metal anchor ring and grabbed her friend as she, as she 
backed out of the ring. The shark tried to follow, but it got, but it got stuck. The shark thrust its tail, it thrust its tail, frustrated at at not being able to catch its prey. Ariel and Flounder swam back to the to the palace. Ariel thought about about how her father had had been right. Shipwrecks were dangerous. Stormy night from the old mill. Mothers protect their children, and sometimes miracles protect mothers. In an abandoned windmill, a blue barn swallow accepted a warm from a maid all day. She had been sitting on her nest, keeping her, her three eggs warm together sheep. And her maid had built the nest in a crock hole of an of an old millstone. The blue bonds the blue bond swallows were were not the only animals who had made the mail their home. Bright eyed bats clustered in the rafters. A plump old owl perched on a wooden beam. Often the the barn hollows watched the watched the owl flutter his feathers and swivel his head from left to right, from left to right, right to left. On this night, the barn swallow watched the bats unfold their wings and dart a, and dart toward a hole in the side of the mail. For a moment, moonlight illuminated the ragged shapes. Then the moon disappeared behind thick clouds, and the and the bats burst into darkness. Her mate followed them into the night, into the night, to look for for more food. Inside the mill, it was quiet except for the soft, occasional hooting of the owl. The barn swallow shifted on a nest. As she blinked in the darkness, she felt a cold, a cold wind blow through the, through the chinks in the walls. Then the, then the wind shook the mail and howled. Rain started to fall. The drops fell one at a time, then pounded the roof in a steady in a steady rhythm. Water seeped in through through holes in the roof but did not but did not drip onto the nest. Onto the nest. The wind shrieked loudly. Suddenly the mother swallow saw the saw the Huge mill wheel coming toward her. The wind had snapped the rope, the rope that held the mill wheel and the arms of the old mill had begun to move, turning the wheel inside with them. With them. In fright, the swallow darted away from her nest. Then she flew back and sheltered the eggs with her wings.
the big heavy wheel rolled over her nest, but the swallow and her eggs escaped, being crushed the clog that matched the hole. The hole containing her nest was broken. All through the night, the swallow remained on her on her nest to protect her eggs. When the storm died down, the the windmill ceased to turn, and the sun glowed through the many chinks in the old abandoned mill. She was glad to see her mate return. He bought food for the for the newly hatched children. Corilla's wicked puppy plan from 101 Dalmatians. Nothing is stronger than a parent's love. It was a cold, dark night. The snow swirled and the wind blew. But Pongo and P-E-R-D-I-T-E raced across the countryside with only one thought on their minds. They had to save their puppies who were so devilled, had stolen their puppies, and many more besides. She had hidden them in, in an old house far from London. She planned to make, to make Dalmatian coats out of them. Out of them. With a ferocious growl, Pongo leaped into the, into the house where the puppies were kept. Okay. P-E-R-D-I-T-A showed the 99 puppies how to, how to escape while Pongo bravely snapped and jumped at Coella's dim-witted henchmen. Once the puppies were safely outside, Pongo and P-E-R-D-I-T let, the, let them away from the Deville house. The snow was deep, making it hard for the group to go very fast. Pongo and P-E-R-D-I-T-E knew that Corilla would be after them to make sure they didn't leave paw prints in the snow. Pongo and P-E-R-D-I-T-E had the puppies follow them on a frozen stream. Soon, the headlights from Corilla's car shone in the darkness. The Dalmatian family had to had to hide under a bridge. That was a close a close one, Pordy Pongo said. I'm I am CC cold, Lucky said, shivering. And I'm hungry, Wally Wally. Pongo and P E R D I T A brought the puppies to a barn where they all rested for the night. The cows had never seen so many dogs in one place. They happily shared their milk with the puppies. In the morning, the dogs were on their way again. Cruella was still looking for them, so they hid in an old blacksmith shop. Soon, the playful puppies 
while whopping a wound in the ashes. That gives me an idea, Pongo cried. Come on, everybody, roll in the suit. I want all, all of you good and dirty. Shortly after, 101 black dogs nervously marched across the street, right under Corilla's nose. The plan had walked the dogs were able to board a truck bound for London and were soon on their way home. Roger and Anita were, were very surprised when they... When they heard Pongo barking at the door, Pongo, oh boy, is it really you? Roger cried when they went in the house, which quickly filled with happy, dirty, playful puppies. But, Roger, what will we do with them all? Anita asked. We will keep them, Roger cried. Families stick together. Home sweet home and then Home sweet home from Peter Pan there, there's no better way to end the day than with a kiss from mom or dad. The darling children had heard many wonderful stories about Peter Pan, but they never dream, never dreamed they would ever really meet him. So when Peter Pan flew into the into the nursery, one night they were delighted. Come with me to Neverland, Peter told Wendy, John, and Michael, and so they did, flying through the night the night sky with him and his pixie friend Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. Neverland was filled with all sorts of interesting people. The Lost Boys were Peter Pan's friends, and they were very excited that he had that he had brought some some new children to play with them. This is we this is Wendy, Peter Pan explained, and I have and I have brought her here to be your mother, Wendy Circlehead. I can't be their mother, she explained. I, sti I still need my, my own mother too much. None of, the, none of the lost boys had mothers of their own anymore. What's a mother? One, one of the lost boys asked Wendy. Wendy felt very sorry for them. She, 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 a, a, a wonderful person who... Who loves you very much, Wendy told them. Peter Pan found the Lost Boys seemed more interested in mothers than in playing pirates. Wendy went on, a mother tells you wonderful stories and kisses you goodnight at the end of the day. Are you our mother, Michael, Michael asked Wendy. Of course not, Wendy said. When he said, "I'm your sister," don't you don't you remember our real mother? John picked up his hat. I remember her, Wendy. He cried. 
and I propose we go home to her at once. Wendy, John, and Michael said goodbye to Peter Pan and his friends. Neverland grew smaller and smaller as they, as they flew through the sky toward home, where, where their own mother was, was just getting ready to kiss them all good night. Okay, almost done. King Triton skipped from the Little Mermaid. A loving father cannot help but forgive. King Triton was exuberant. Together he and Eric had defeated the wicked sea witch Ursula and saved the more people from Hoever's gains. But before he could rejoice, he had to find Ariel. He knew that his daughter would not be be happy until she was until she was rejoined with her true love. Triton hadn't 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 approved of Eric or of any or of any humans for that matter. He had he had seen too too many sea creatures snatched by the cool, by the cool fish, fish heaters hooks. But now, but now he realized that Eric was different. Eric had risked his own life to save Ariel, and for that, Triton would always be grateful. Sebastian and Flander led the, led the sea king to the shore where Ariel was sitting. On a walk, she was she was moonfully watching Eric as he lay unconscious on the sand. Triton turned to to Sebastian. She really does love him, doesn't she? Hmm. Sebastian agreed. Well then, I guess there's just one problem left. Mused the king. What's that, Your Majesty? How much I am going to miss her. Sebastian's jaw fell open. With a sigh, Triton raised his trident and sent a beam, a magical light, toward Ariel. Toward Ariel. As Ariel looked down to see what was happening, she saw her fish tail being transformed into legs, human legs, like she, like she had had. Always dreamed to look up and beamed at her father. Eric began to stir. When he saw Ariel walking toward him, out of the ocean his face lit up. At last they were free, and they belonged to each other. King Triton smiled sadly. He knew that he would not he would not be able to to see his his remarkable daughter every every day, as he had in the past, but he was warmed by by the knowledge that she that she would have a happy future with with a man who who loved her as much as he did.
One more to go after this, then I'm done. A Foolish in Flames from Bambi. Your family is your most precious possession. A careless hunter has forgotten to put out his campfire. And now the whole forest was ablaze. Bambi and his father tried to make their way through the burning trees. But as the wind changed direction, so did the father. So did the fire. Bambi's father used all his experience with forest fires to find a path through the blazing woods. As Bambi ran for his life, he felt he felt stronger knowing that his knowing that his wise father was by his side. His side. They ran through a stream, hoping the water would would protect them from the flames, but the trees along the banks were ablaze too. At last, Bambi and his father came to a waterfall. The trees behind them were burning, trapped. They had they had only one one choice: to jump. To jump. They landed with a great splash, exhausted. They swam slowly to an island in the middle of the river. Nearby, Pauline stood at the water's edge, looking up at the hill. She, she fearfully watched her forest burn. She too was weakened by fatigue, but she could, but she could not rest until she, until she knew Bambi was safe. As she listened and watched, she heard splashing. Two stags were walking toward her through the shallow water. As they emerged from the smoky haze, she recognized them. Bambi, she cried, though he was very tired and sore. Bambi dashed through the water toward Pauline's voice. He climbed up. On the walk beside her, she was alive. The deer, the deer, stood, stood close together and watched. The forest burn with heavy hearts. They realized that many, that many animals were, would now lose their homes. They were grateful, though, to be safe, to be safe, and to, and to, at least have each other. And the hound, two lonely souls can make one, can make one happy family from a nest in the old oak tree. A wise a wise owl called Big Mama witnessed the whole sad event. She was just settling down for bed when a when a terrified mother fox burst out of the woods. The fox was carrying a newborn kit in her mouth. 
She quickly hid her baby in the tall grass by a fence and then tore across the meadow, clearly running for a life. She was followed, followed closely by a pack of Bane hounds. By Bane hounds. Moments later, Big Mama heard rifle shots. She knew that the baby fox was now alone in the world. Big Mama flew down to the baby. You poor little fella, she she said. She crooned, crooned, stroking his fur. He, he was shivering. You are gonna need some caring for the baby fox snuggled against Big Mama's soft chest. Oh no, not me, darling, Big Mama laughed. But don't, but don't you move. Big Mama's gonna be right back. She flew off in search of her friends, Boomer and Dinky. She found them in a nearby tree where they were, where they were trying, trying to root a stubborn caterpillar from his hole. From his hole. Boomer, Big Mama called to the woodpecker. Stop. The pecking and listen, I need you and Dinky to help me. She told them about the little fox and his mother. God, said Boomer, who will take care of him. Dinky the, the sparrow, the sparrow fluffed his feathers. Hey, I got an idea, he exclaimed. The widow treat is all alone. She probably be happy too to take care of him, and I will. Tell ya how we how we will arrange it. A few minutes later, the plan was set. Boomer tapped on the door of Widow Tweed's farmhouse. Yes, the Widow Tweed called, opening the door and looking around, but there was no one to be seen. Just as she was about to close the door, Big Mama and Dinky. Flew down and plucked her and plucked her pink underwear from the clothesline. My word, the widow tree cried, "You come back here!" She went out of the house after the birds. They dropped her bloomers right near the fence. As the widow tree picked up her underwear, she was shocked to find a fury little animal huddled. In the grass, why? It's a baby fox, she whispered. She bent down, and the teeny creature uncalled itself and tottered over to her. Tears came to the widow tree's eyes. You are such a little toddler, she said, chuckling. I think I will call you Todd. With that, she wrapped him gently in her apron and carried him inside. Okay, that's all. Bye-bye. Hi there, this is Emma 